so many messages, great messages. We've heard so many sermons, which are great sermons. But what I really feel led to do today is this. I don't want to preach a message. I want to open up my heart and share my heart with every one of you today. As your pastor, I get to witness and to be part of greater details in people's lives. What I mean by that, the greater details, is many of us see the wrapping paper and we see the pretty bows, we see the smiles, we see the laughs, we, we see the friendly, how are you doing from people. But as a pastor, I get invited or I get to see beneath the wrapping paper and beneath the bows of what's really going on and the struggles and the circumstances and the situations that many people are facing. Some people around you today, you may think, wow, they look happy today. They've got a smile on your face. You don't realize their story today. Sitting around you today, I can promise you right now, sitting around you is someone who is broken. I can promise you right now, there's someone who is sitting around you that is in need, that is desperate for a touch for God in their lives. There may even be someone sitting near you today or even right beside you today that may feel that there is no hope, there's no way out, nothing can change. The circumstances of my life are hopeless, broken, desperate, lonely, confused, hurt, people carrying guilt, feeling totally unworthy. For many weeks now, I've been really burdened for certain individuals certain people that I've been counseling with and meeting with and praying with. In knowing their stories, it has really gripped a hold of my heart and I've been burdened as I've prayed and I've really sought God for them. But it's gone deeper than that. God has given me such a burden this year since we had our fast, I believe, like never before for each one of you in this church to really pray for you, to see God's victory in your life. And as I mentioned, every year we start our church off with a 21-day fast. Asking God, really prioritizing our year, saying, God, we put you number one. We want you to be the center. We want you to be our focus. We want you to be the priority of our lives. And in doing so, we, we sacrifice the flesh. We put to death the flesh that the power of God would move. We ask that God would literally reprioritize our lives. But as we set aside those 21 days to seek God, you've got to realize that we don't just do it for ourselves. I know the leaders of this church, we set aside those days also for you and for your families. Some of you are even here today because of the prayers that were prayed at the beginning of this year. 
And I'm telling you right now, look around you, there's empty chairs. They're going to be filled by the prayers that we've already prayed this year. And we are continuing to pray for God to move. So what was it, Pastor, that you asked God to do in our lives? What was it you sought God to do on our behalf? We asked God that this would be your year. That this would be the best year that you've ever lived. We ask God that he would give you breakthroughs. We've asked God that he will give you miracles of unprecedented amounts and proportions in your life. We've asked God to change you. But here's one thing that I've observed. And it's not just here, it's it's everywhere in church life, unfortunately. That many, if not all, they want the breakthroughs. I mean, we'd be foolish to say, you know, I don't want a miracle from God. We'd be foolish to say, I don't want God to change my circumstances, even if our circumstance is good. We'd be foolish to say, well, God can't make it greater. Does everyone agree? So there's many, if not all, God will, and say that they want the breakthroughs. But yet many still stand unmoved and unwilling to be changed. I've said it in the past and I've said it like this. We want the blessings and the eternal rewards of heaven. But yet so often, yet still want to live like hell. We want the blessings. We want God to move in our lives. We want the breakthroughs. But yet in our own lives, we're not willing to change and to allow God to change us. Something's drastically wrong. As we had the prayer wall up over on that side, many people's number one request on their list was for a closer walk with God. A closer walk with God is what every one of us should desire. That's what every one of us needs. But perhaps instead of asking for a closer walk with God, we need to stop. And realize or ask ourselves another question. And that other question is this. Who moved? Who moved? I'm just going to say it like this. He didn't. So you can figure out the rest. God didn't move. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. He never changes. He's the same. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. At the risk of offending perhaps you today, I want to share with you what I feel is vital for each one of you as children of God. What you need in your life. What I believe the answer is. Not a answer, but the answer to every one of your lives. I want to talk today about that which God promised to give to us, His children. God's gift to the church. God's gift to those who are saved. A gift, a promise that He promised would help us not only to see the breakthroughs in our lives and the miracles that we need, but even greater than that, to teach us how to live victorious. In our everyday lives. You see, we can have the miracles and still live defeated. Do you understand that? We can have God meet our need today. Perhaps there's a bill and God can meet that need. But we can still have another need for another bill tomorrow. 
We don't just want the miracles and the breakthroughs. We need to be, or we need to know and to be taught how to live each day that we would walk in the victory of God, living a victorious life. And that's why today I want to talk about the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity, the triune Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In some references, it's been labeled as the Holy Ghost, and they're both correct. In fact, the word in the Greek is phenomena, which means breath or a breeze, which literally the Holy Spirit, when we think about it, it's the breath or the essence of. Of God. So whether it's Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit, don't shout someone down because the King James in translation interchangeably uses reference to both the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost. I believe it was two weeks ago that Warren came here and preached an incredible message from 1 Kings chapter 3. He talked about kings who had gone in search of battle. They've gone, they went to search out their enemies. In order to get to their enemy, they had to make a seven-day journey through a wilderness. As they went through the wilderness, they had enough food, but there was something that ran out in their supply. And I remember what Warren says, and I don't know if you remember what he said, but I've just, it's been ringing backwards and forwards in my mind ever since and in my heart. I just haven't been able to get away from what he said. Warren said these words, our churches today are full of the word. They've got the food. Come on, some of us are so stuffed with the word, we're obese with the word of God. Come on, we know it forwards, we know it backwards, we know it inside out. When Arnold stands up here today and started talking about scriptures, some of you knew the next words. If I was to say John 3.16, every one of you would probably be able to go, for God so loved the world. John 10.10, the thief comes to kill still. These popular, we've got the word, we've got the food of God. But what was it Warren said? We've ran out of water. We've ran out of water. And water is a type and a symbol of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. They say the body can go 40 plus days without food, but it cannot exceed five days without water. What does that tell you? Thank God for the Word. Thank God for the Word that feeds us the bread of life. But if all we've got is the bread of life, we need the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God to wash down the Word, to revive us, to restore us, to refresh us in order that you and I can live. John 7 verse 37, Jesus said these words through 39. Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, what does he say? Let him come to me and drink. Remember Jesus at the well with the lady when he said, when she said, or he said, give me to drink. And she said, but you don't have. And Jesus said, I don't need a bucket because what I have is living water. You're going to drink of this, but you're going to thirst again. But the water that I'm talking about, you will never thirst again. If anyone thirsts, Jesus says, let him come and drink for he who believes in me. As the scriptures has said, out of his heart, the King James says, out of his innermost being, 
out of that which is deepest inside of him shall flow forth rivers of living water. Come on, say with me, living water. Come on, that which is alive, that which is not dead. We're dead. Too many of us in here are dead. Come on now. Too many of us are dead. We're just struggling through life and trying to make it. Come on, we need the river of God's Holy Spirit to flow from within us. Not only refreshing us, but refreshing others that we come in contact with. Do I hear an amen in the house? 39. But this he spoke in reference to the water, the river, that which flows from within you. This he spoke concerning the Spirit. Notice it's capitalized. It's not a spirit, the spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity, the Godhead, whom those believing or who have believed, or as we would call today, as those who are saved. So he spoke concerning the spirit to those who are saved that they would receive from Him. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. We saw, or we will see, that the Holy Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost as they gathered in an upper room. But here's what I want to ask you, or the point I want to make today. How could something that's alive and something that's living How could something that has been given to us by God do anything except bring good to every one of our lives? Well, I don't want that Holy Spirit. That's crazy stuff. I don't want this and I don't... Listen, it's alive. It's living. It's from God. I know this. Satan doesn't want to give you life. You may say, well, that's not of God. Well, hey, the only other person it can be of is of the devil. And let's just eliminate that right now. Satan doesn't want to give you life. John 10.10 tells us that. Kill, steal, and destroy. That's all he's come to do. He doesn't want to give you life. So if he doesn't want to give you life, there's only one true source of life. And James 1 verse 17 tells us or reminds us of that life that every good and every perfect, perfecting is really a better translation, that every good gift and every perfecting gift comes down from the Father of lights, or is above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So God gives us good gifts. God has the best things for every one of us. I say God has gifts that will bring life and cause living to happen into every one of us. A new source, a new power. That word good there is both in the physical and moral sense which produces benefits. Did you know that God wants to touch your life with gifts and blessings that are going to produce benefits for your life? Your life won't only be changed, but your life will be changed in order to change others around. Do I hear an amen? In other words, what God has for you and all that he has for you is to help you and to benefit your life in every way. Give me some of that. I want some of that. 
I want as much of that as I can grab a hold of today. Come on. I want that life of God. But today, something so life-changing and God-given has been so mistaught and misunderstood and now has even been labeled as offensive. You know, even in some circles today, they would tell me as a pastor, don't preach messages like I'm preaching today. Some churches and some church circles would say, if you want to build a big church, you don't build a big church preaching messages on controversial issues. Stick to the things that people want to hear instead of telling them what God wants to say. Can I just go on record today by saying this? I'm not interested in growing a big church. And you know why I'm not interested in growing a big church? Because God said he would build his church. Come on, God said he'll build his church. And upon what did he promise that he would build his church? He promised that he would build his church upon the true revelation of who he is. And what he has for his children. You see, when we try and label God as anything else apart from what God's word says, we're not building a sure foundation on which God can build his church. There's a lot of great churches out there. And I'm not saying that God has not built them. But I'm telling you, the Bible says, except God build the house, those who build it labor in vain. We want God to build this house. And how does he want to build? If we're going to build a house, if we're going to be God's temple, we've got to build it on his foundation. And his foundation is the revelation of who he is truly and what he has available for us as children of God. And that's the foundation of Father, Son and Holy Spirit. You see, that day Jesus asked the disciples and he said to them, who do people say that I am? That day, every disciple had something to say about what others had said. They had knowledge of what everyone else had said, but not one of them at that moment came forth and said, doesn't matter what other people know. This is what we know. Jesus stopped and said, okay, who do you say? Who do you say? Only one answered. Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And that's why in Matthew 16 verse 18, you will read these words where Jesus pointed to Peter and he said, Peter, upon you, Petra, upon you, rock. Not as the Catholic church has mistaken this verse to say that Peter was the first pope and God built a church upon him. No, God was just saying this, or Jesus was saying this, upon the revelation of who you have, of who I am, the true revelation of me, upon the revelation of acceptance of the fact that I shall be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, that you know who I am and the attributes and the characteristics that I have. Because you understand and have true revelation of who I am, Jesus says, I will build my church on that. And on that, hell has no power and has no opposition. Arnold just said, at the name of Jesus. Come on, you've got to know what that name means. That's the revelation that when we build ourselves and our lives and our families and our finances and our health upon, that hell itself 
Why would it say the gates of hell? Because back in biblical times, the strength of a city was at its gates. That was where all the deals happened. That's where the rulers sat. They sat in the gates. So what was he saying when he said the gates of hell will not prevail? The greatest strength and the greatest attributes, the greatest power, whatever you want to call it, that Satan possesses, God says, is nothing compared to having a true revelation of who I am. And that's why We're going to talk today about the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of descriptions that have been given and there's a lot of thoughts that have been given. But as I sat down to put pen to paper, this was the greatest description that I came up with. The Holy Spirit is the power to live and the power to serve. What do you mean by that? The Holy Spirit is the power that God wants to put upon your life that you can live a victorious life. That you don't have to live in bondage to sin any longer. But you can be victorious in your life. But not only victorious in your life, but victorious as you live your life. As a witness, as a testimony, as you serve and live before God. Anyone would be foolish and amiss and robbing yourself to deny or not to desire such a power like that. You may turn around and still say, well, Pastor Philip, I'm kind of worried about it. I I just don't know about it. Instead of being so worried about it, why don't you take your concerns to God? Why don't you say to God, you know, God, I I don't have all the answers to all my questions and I don't know about this stuff. And and I've heard that, you know, that you are the spirit and you are the water and you are refreshing and you want to revive me and you want to be alive and your Holy Spirit wants me. But you know what, God, I'm not sure about all this stuff. Why not pray a prayer like this? God, I'm not sure about it. But God, if this Holy Spirit stuff is really real, I open up my heart and I ask you to give it to me. Give it to me. Why do we not see the evidence of the Holy Spirit in the lives of many Christians and believers today? Because we haven't sought it. We haven't asked for it. We have chose to instead believe the lie. It's not for today. There's a lot of lies out there When it comes to the things of God. Some of the greatest lies should be the greatest indicator to every one of you that there's some truth here. I mean, some of the greatest lies should be symbolic to you, should make the lights come on for you to realize that there's some great truth here. Why? Because a lie is only a lie for what? To take us or to steer us away from the truth to rob us, to take us away. Why is the Holy Spirit so fought and so opposed in the church? Why is tithing and giving unto God so fought and so opposed in the church? Why? Because they are principles of life for the believer. Come on, I'm going to say that again because you didn't give me a good enough amen. They are principles of life for the believer. And Satan knows if he can keep us outside of those things, we will not see the effects and the working power Of God through our lives. Hey, turn a light on outside at night and see what happens. A light, what? A source 
attracts everything to it. So when you start putting the truth out there like a light, there is going to be a lot of lies. There's going to be a lot of junk. There's going to be a lot of things that is going to be attracted to it. But we would be foolish to turn around and say, let's just turn off the light and live in darkness. Jesus came as a light to the world. A hope to the world. All this Holy Spirit stuff is just weird and crazy stuff. It's just for those whacked out, super spiritual Christians. I've heard that all the time. I don't want to have the Holy Spirit. This is what some people said, because God's going to make a fool of me. Hey, you do a good enough job on your own without God helping you. Turn on the TV and watch LSU and stuff. Have you ever watched yourself sometimes? You make a fool of yourself. Come on, someone steals your purse in the mall, ladies. You don't care how you look. You don't care if your hair goes which way and every which way. You don't care. You're going to be screaming at the top of your voice and you're going to be running as fast as you can. You'll think about how foolish you looked afterwards, but you won't worry at that moment. Well, it was all right for the Bible times. It was just for biblical times. But we're living in another day. Hello, pastor. This is a new day if you haven't noticed. I'm going to ask a question this morning that I'm going to try and answer for every one of you today. And here's the question. What did he do for them back then? What do I mean by that? What effect did the Holy Spirit have upon the lives of those that we read of in the Word of God when He came upon them and He filled them. He baptized them with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. What effect did it have upon their lives? And you've got to realize this, what happened in their lives is very important for our lives because the Bible even says that their lives were given as an example for every one of us, teaching us sometimes how to live, most times how to live, but also how not to live as an example. I'm trying to lay some groundwork today. I'm trying to whet your appetite. I'm trying to get you to see the importance of the water of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that which is alive and real, that wants to flow inside of you. So why is the example of their lives important to me? Well, I used the scripture earlier, and here's why. Because the Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay, Philip, so what does that mean? It means this, the same power that changed and transformed their lives yesterday is the same power that today wants to change our lives that will cause us to live victoriously, that we can live in victory tomorrow. The same power that changed their lives is the same power that can change ours. But what was it that qualified them? What was it that changed their life? Because of fear and of being misunderstood and offensive, we have done Christianity, I believe, a major injustice. We've steered away from preaching about the Holy Spirit and other such vital truths that have left us in a less than victorious state. And here's where I'm at today. 
As I said, I haven't come to preach a message or give you a sermon. I've come to share my heart with you today. I realize today I have two options when preaching such a message like this. Number one is I have the option to tell you the truth. At the risk I may offend you today. But then the second option that I have is this. It's just to tell you what you want to hear, which I'm promising you right now in the end is going to be a greater offense to you. What do I mean by that? One day, you're going to ask and begin to realize, why was I not taught that? Why was I not given the opportunity to make a decision for myself? Why did I not know about the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit that wants to operate in the life of every believer? So I had two choices when I was thinking about this message. And here is my choice. And obviously, by the message I'm preaching today, I love you all enough to run the risk of you being mad and offended at me today. Some of you may even leave the church because of the Holy Spirit. It may offend you today, but I'm willing to offend you today because at least you have another chance. But when we stand before God, perhaps we will never have, we won't have another chance. Now understand this, salvation is what saves you. You've got to understand that. It's salvation that saves you. It's faith in God, nothing else. Having the Holy Spirit doesn't make you any more saved or it doesn't make you any more worthy. But I believe having the Holy Spirit in your life is vital to help keep you saved, to help keep you on track, to give you the strength and the power and the wisdom and the direction, the favor and the hand of God upon every one of your life. So to answer the question, what did it do to them? What effect did the Holy Spirit have upon them when he fell upon their lives? What changed after the day of Pentecost? After Jesus was crucified, he was taken from his disciples and he was put in a tomb. We know the story, he rose again and he appeared to them. But in the process of him being taken, in the process of him being crucified, he left a group of followers or disciples, a multitude of people with very mixed emotions and feelings. If you would read in John chapter 21, some of his hand-picked 12 looked at each other and said, what are you going to do? And they said, I'm going to go back fishing. Jesus has just been taken. He's just been crucified. What are you going to do? I'm going to go back fishing. What were they saying? I'm just going to go back to that which is comfortable, that which I know. I'm going to go back to my old way. There was probably thousands of them who fled from Jerusalem. The Bible talks about two on the road to Emmaus. They're heading home with their hopes shattered and with their dreams destroyed. As they said these words, we thought he was the Messiah. How wrong and how fooled we were. You would have thought out of all of them, at least Peter. Peter always had something to say. He was always someone that would rock the boat. He had foot and mouth syndrome. You know what I'm talking about? He always said the wrong thing at the wrong time. But he was the bold one. He was the one that spoke. Surely, Peter, you were with Jesus. Oh, no. Don't know what you're talking about. 
No, I'm telling you, you talk just like, no, I don't. And a little servant girl, the Bible says, came and says, no, you are one of him. And the Bible says that Peter cursed her and said, I know not him. And he fled from her. Today, people would look and say, well, they weren't really saved. Did you catch what I just said? You've got to catch that. Some people would look and say, well, they didn't have a real encounter with God. They weren't really saved. I think it was impossible to walk with God, as especially the 12 disciples did for three years, and not realize the fact of you need an encounter with God. We know Judas betrayed Jesus, but the Bible says that Satan entered into his heart stole away his life. So we can turn around today and we can say, well, they weren't really saved, which I guess would throw us, therefore, into the same equation. I don't believe that they were not saved. I believe that they were people who wanted to see a change. I believe they were people who experienced a change in their heart but they were people who did not possess the power, the boldness, and the direction of how to do it. Not not saved, just lacked the power to live saved. You see, in all of these situations that we just mentioned, it's amazing, Jesus appeared to them. Those who went fishing, Jesus stands on the shore and he waves to them and says, Hey, you caught anything? And they said, No. Jesus said to them, Put your net on the other side of the boat. If you read John 21, Peter recognizes the voice of Jesus and said, Jesus, is that you? And he takes off his outer garment and he jumps into the water and he comes to the land. And when he comes to the land, there's coals on a fire and there's fish already prepared. But the Bible says that they pulled it in a net and there was 153 fish in their net. Their nets almost broke under the mass of the fish. So those who were dejected and went back to their old ways, Jesus found them right where they're at. The two on the road to Emmaus... Jesus appeared on the road with them and began to share with them the scriptures as he walked and as he talked with them. To Peter, the one who said no, 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 three times as he denied Jesus Christ, Jesus on the shores of the Sea of Galilee asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Look at the grace and the mercy of God. In three denials, Jesus gives him the opportunity to accept him, recognize him, claim him three times. So what happened? Jesus rallied the troops. He came and he rallied the troops. Whatever state they were in, whatever place they were in, Jesus found people. And the Bible says he appeared to many of them. But what did he appear to them with? It wasn't just a good motivational speech. Now, come on, guys, you need to just get up and you need to, come on, just every day you get out of your bed and you say, today, this is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to be big and I'm going to be bad and bam, it's going to happen. He didn't say that. 
But what did Jesus tell every one of them that day and every other day? What was it that he gave to them? It was a promise. Look what it says in Acts chapter 1 and verse 4 through 8. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But here's what you need. You see, we concern ourselves with so much other stuff that God says, I can take care of that. Come on, are you going to restore the kingdom? Are you going to come back? You see, they wanted an earthly king. They wanted an earthly king that they could follow, that could defeat the oppression of the Romans, that could wipe away all the enemies of them. Is that the kingdom? And Jesus said, hold on, don't worry about those things, but here's what you need. Here's what you need for right now, that you need power and you can receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be Witnesses, notice power to live, power to serve. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus didn't come back to him and say, just do a little bit better. Pay a little bit more tithes. Go to church a little bit more, which are all important things. But Jesus gave them the power to do those things. Jesus gave them the ability to walk in victory in their lives. He promised them a power, a source of power that was unequaled and limitless in its ability. A power that would change their lives. A power not only to live, but a power also to serve. Now those people who had ran, who were afraid, who were terrified, who denied God. Something changed. Peter, who denied God to a servant girl, is now standing up amongst thousands of people saying, hold on a second. Let me tell you who Jesus is. Those who once thought it was all over, those who were fearful and timid, now became dynamic, courageous messengers to the good news of Jesus Christ. You and I need the power of the Holy Spirit to work within our lives. Next week we're going to talk in a greater depth. On Wednesday we're going to talk about it in a greater depth. You need to be here. What we're going to talk about is worth coming back to here. But listen to me, we're not finished today. You've heard about it. This week has been a tough week for Kelly and I. Kelly's mother's diagnosis. Traveling backwards and forwards to Lafayette. Kelly stayed up there last night. We're going up there after church to pick her up. Well, to be there for the rest of the day. Haven't had much sleep. But as I sat on Friday and prepared my message, I found a quiet place in the hospital. Found the little chapel. And I sat in the chapel. The people must have thought I was crazy. I had notes and 
papers and scattered all around me. Just a little chapel, probably no, it was smaller than our welcome room. I mean, just a small little chapel. But as I sat in that chapel, I witnessed over and over again people who came looking for a power in a source that they would never find. I saw people who came in who could hardly walk, struggle to get down on their knees to pray in front of a statue. I saw people, the door opened multiple times and people didn't even hardly step in. They just stepped in enough to get some of that holy water and to cross themselves. But you know what? I was ashamed as I sat there that day because I thought people are going to a power that's not real. But they are more faithful And they pray more than we who have the ability to have a power that's real. I was challenged in my life. Jesus proves that in John 14 verse 6. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through or by me. He's the promise of life. He's the promise that every one of us has. And the promise that he has for every one of us is that I will send the Holy Spirit. In the Greek, parakletos. One court alongside. What an incredible, I love that definition. One court alongside to be there to help us and to strengthen us. I want to pray for you today. I want to pray for people in this house to receive the power, the indwelling power. Of the Holy Spirit. I want to pray for people to be filled with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Don't get caught up and, and, and just worry so much about the tongues and the evidence because it's just like a receipt. You can go into a store and the receipt is just the proof of that which you have purchased. Now, I know the Bible says that we build ourselves up when we speak in tongues. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit, listen to me, is not just speaking in tongues. It's not just a babbled language. The Holy Spirit is a power. It's a person, just like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a person of the Trinity that wants to come and live inside of you. We're going to answer questions next week more about what's the difference between salvation and baptism. We're going to talk all about that. We've just laid the groundwork today. But I just really feel I'm not going to wait till next week at the end of the message, at the end of the series to say, well, come back next week and we're going to pray for you. If you want to wait till next week to be prayed for, then that's your choice. But we're going to pray for you today. We're going to pray for you, for those of you who want to receive the power of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit, a power to live, a power that will enable you to say no to the addictions and the strongholds of your life, a power that will help you to walk in victory in your life, a power that will give you the strength that you need to make it through another day. I need the strength of God and the power of God. I need His ever-leading, guiding presence. I need the Holy Spirit. Come on, you need the Holy Spirit. Would you stand to your feet today? would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. 
At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.